0: Hello and welcome to the Champagne, champagne Room Secrets podcast. podcast. What the fuck? Hey, is I don't know if this is shameful, but if you have a small dick, have Ooh, a good geez. personality.
1: Filling the champagne. died here. Have a titty. Not a sex podcast, but it is a strip you Grind your clit on a guy's hard dick <laughs> and come. Hey, but you've never made someone come in their pants, right? I'm Candy. I'm Jade. Your friendly neighborhood whores here to walk you through the ins and outs of the strip club and sex work industry.
0: Uncensored. And we're very happy to have a guest here today. She is a sex worker, comedian, sex worker rights activist, and host of the Oldest Profession podcast, Caitlin Bailey. Thank you for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor and delight to be here.
0: We are so delighted. You know, and I can I say I love your voice. Do you get that oh, a lot? Thank you. Your voice is like really sultry and like nice to listen to
2: <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that it's yeah one of the very few upsides to having smoked once <laughs> a long time ago oh <laughs> <Yeah>. one time <laughs> actually no I don't think that's true that's a that's a mischaracterization that's not how this happened this happened because um I am the only daughter of a soldier um who can't hear above a certain pitch and then I did the debate team um at, at a formative time when they were like before we were like hey telling people to speak lower is sexist so, um, right. so I was just raised in that, like, yeah, it, to be, to be heard, lower your register.
1: Oh my so. God. Like Elizabeth Holmes. I've heard of, that. Kind of.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: but she, yeah.
1: she forgot that now. She's like, oh my God, wait, you guys, I was kidding this whole time. I you know she, yeah, she's like, <laughs> I'm just a pregnant lady. You can't, we love women and children. Yeah, yeah. Childlike women, <laughs>
2: sign me up.
1: Oh, we talk about that a lot here on Champagne uh, <laughs> her Secrets. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's only fun as a character, really. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, oh my yeah. gosh, role play—that's great. I should practice that. Like I am often told, I I talk too high and excited. And yeah, stuff. you say hello, and people immediately are like, no, <laughs> no, li- no, literally. <laughs> like when I used to dance more at clubs, I walk up and like, hi guys, and they're like,
2: Ugh. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> oh God, that that kind of behavior should get you kicked out of a joint like that. Like if the if we lived in a more just world, also that voice would be fine. Exactly. But, you exactly. Know, yeah and that would never happen yeah
0: (laughs) but you've never stripped right I've never no I've never stripped no when I when I talk to other sex workers they are kind of like shocked at like what the strip club behavior is allowed and usually we kind of expect it to be the opposite right oh there's like strip club security and I'm like no we get we get told a lot of shit we get like our boundaries crossed all the time and they're kind of like ew (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so
1: Caitlin what was your first foray into sex work
2: yeah, I was I was just saying it was like, I feel like I should talk about my uh, my background because it's really different. I think like the um, the landscape has changed so much, but um, I did sex work for like two different distinct periods of my life. I did hourly escorting work in like the golden age when we had flip phones and Craigslist erotic services and like message boards. And it was like enough interconnection that you clients and sex workers could find each other, but not so much surveillance that like you know they were suggesting your like sex worker character to your mom on social media and other mm-hmm. such yeah. nonsense right um so I yeah so I did, I did hourly escorting work um had a, a a very positive experience both with clients and other sex workers a lot of that was due to to my I was like literally in high school being paid an allowance with like no survival needs to meet. This was like an exercise in curiosity. And so I was very quick to turn down clients and like the stakes were were low. And so I like I did all the safety precautions and 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 did that. Then I went to college and had a different kind of experience with like the hookup culture and what happens when you give free sex to your yeah, peers. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, listening
1: to your uh, thoughts on
2: that actually recently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. It's like, hey guy, yeah. so um and then I graduated from college into the like 2008-2009 uh financial crisis depression. Um I did professional advocacy with like uh this progressive political consulting firm. I ran field campaigns for like progressive causes and organizations and then got like really burned out on that really quickly. Um I think that was like one of my first brushes but like oh this is what exploitation feels like uh oh, oh, mm. gross um the first
0: brush <laughs> even though you had already yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. done the yeah, most no, I totally, exploitative yeah, no, job ever but this is the first yeah it was she's doing quotes yeah, it was awesome yeah 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 of right.
2: course yeah i <laughs> yeah and, and, and that was like that informed like so much of my early stand up comedy of like this thing is not what you think it is and so but then um when i quit politics and started trying to do comedy which is like if i thought politics was exploitative i mean like jesus the inner like hold my beer said the entertainment industry uh so um yeah I, i i came back to sex work to do sugaring which was just getting popular at that time in order to subsidize my career in comedy and like had these really sort of honest transactional conversations with men who were like, it's exciting to be a part of someone's life who's like trying to do something, you know, I like, Mm -hmm. I want to spend time with you, I can give you this financial security that makes it easier for you to do this thing. Like, let's do that, you know, and, and they really entered the role of like patron and that that felt great and I also understand is not what sugaring has become. Uh That is not no longer the vibe. But that relationship took me into my career as a sex worker rights advocate and doing communications and now starting my own organization, uh, this nonprofit media company, and uh, doing the Oldest Profession podcast and my live show and all of the stuff that I do now.
1: Wow, that is... Yeah. that is incredible. You, I have, I know I have so many questions. I just want to like go back really quick Thanks. because yeah. I'm sorry. Escort in high school. Let's talk about that. So you are not wait, I'm sorry, but you were in New York. So the late, the age of consent.
2: No, no, I was in, I was in North Carolina. Oh, okay. So I moved, um, yeah, I moved to New York in like 2011 okay. to do politics and comedy, comedy. and okay. yeah. And that's where I sugar. Uh, so I did okay. escort work in like Raleigh Durham. Right. right?
1: So yeah. you were most likely then a minor getting into this industry.
2: I like to say I was practically 18 years yeah. old and I was seven months older than my dad was. Let's not incriminate our guests here. No, 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 yeah. I, I think we should address this <laughs> head on. But like I was a full seven months older than my father was when he joined the army. So sure, sure, technically underage, blah, blah, blah. But like if we want to have this conversation, let's really have right, it. I right. felt... Like I was a consenting adult enough.
1: Like, I think people have this idea that when people get into it very young, they've been like trafficked, they have like a pimp or whatever, but you had like full agency. You were like, I want to do this job. Let's fucking do it with my little flip phone. We're going to get out there.
2: I was posting my own ads and lying to clients about my age. Like if anyone, maybe I was trafficking myself, but I think only Alaska is still prosecuting people for that.
0: (laughs) Were people in your network doing it or how did you even come up with the idea? Because I feel like so much of high school is like, what your peers are doing that like that never even occurred to me (laughs) like in high school you know what I mean I I was taking AP classes and like whatever the people around me were doing you know
2: yeah I mean so was I right and so Mm -hmm. and college release is what allowed me to have the time that I needed to like see clients and and do all of this work but it really originated with my obsession with sex workers in history like I was oh. reading about courtesans and uh, good time girls and, you know, these women that had to me, it felt like they had a cheat code to misogyny. Um, And so, you know, I saw the sexism around me. I was growing up at the height of George W. Bush's purity culture in a like deeply evangelical culture. It was nonsense. And so, you know, sex work it felt like this other way. And I actually believed um, because I was a young person that like you couldn't do sex work in Raleigh, North Carolina. I thought you had to like go to New York or LA or London or like a real city in order like to be an actress. It did not occur to me uh, until much later that we are everywhere, actually.
1: Yeah. So that is just so impressive. Like Like Jade was saying, I mean, like I I didn't even have sexual relation well not with a man into like into college and like I was just so like not aware and the fact that like you were so interested in that and like turned it into a job that early that is just like so impressive
2: thank you I think you know it does show some aptitude right like I think that I I, even looking back right even as an adult person I was like "Eh, that was smart like it was very unlikely that you were going to be killed or have something bad happen to you you took a lot of smart precautions And also, and this is just stuff that like we're getting into therapy now, I was looking for an escape route route. Like I wanted Mm -hmm. a double life. I wanted to step into this other character that had a lot more power, you know, like when we were doing these sessions, and I think it's interesting that you talk about, you know, the dynamics of the strip club are very different. That is a sales job in a way that being an escort, um, an independent escort really isn't, you know? And so like I got to dictate the terms. I got to articulate my boundaries. I got to, you know, execute real power when in my daily life as a uh, minor with in high school, I had very little agency.
0: Yeah. no, And I think that is an interesting dichotomy that for a lot of us, like outside of her sex worker role, we don't feel like we can um, sometimes like, put, put boundaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I think Candy and I were talking about this the other day. Like, I I agreed that the strip club is, is a different environment 100% and you are kind of like more people-pleasing because you're trying to sell. But yeah. once you're in the room, in the VIP room, we talked about this, like sometimes guys think because they pay that they're in control of what happens in there, but it's the complete opposite because I can end that room whenever it's your I want. space. Yeah. Usually if you have a good club, they'll back you up if you're like, hey, this guy did this and they'll kick him out or whatever. Sure. Um. But yeah, that's something that like a lot of women don't find outside of those spaces of of sex work,
2: yeah. You know, I remember when I was coming up as a stand-up comic. Um, it's gonna bother me that I can't remember his name, but it, this is someone who I admire's joke. And he would say, like, "Yeah, you know, it's great. I love going to strip clubs, uh, where you know men show the women some respect." And that was like definitely my experience <laughs> as a female young stand-up comedian. Like, I felt more like prey in that context than I ever did as a sex worker. Yeah, and that's what you hear from female comedians, right? Like, yeah, a lot, yeah. Yeah, there's no HR um, in comedy for better and for worse, you know? That's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about this conflation with sex work and human trafficking or violence against women. Because not only is it, is there not the violence people think that there is in adult consensual sex work, But there is that violence just in our dating life. And so having this like topsy turvy, you know, what is up is down is down is up definition that conflates and reverses these things is not only are we sicking, right? Like state violence on sex workers, but we're also depriving civilian women of the language that they need to describe the very real sexual violations that are happening all of the time.
1: Yeah. It's like a, it's right. a fucking scam. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's crazy.
2: It's a scam.
0: <laughs> I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I'm like, chronically online and i i feel like especially like conservative white women seem to be really obsessed with human trafficking there's all these like weird like oh if there's like a sticker on your car it means that they want to traffic you and all these things and i feel like it's kind of like a is, is a re- is a red herring the right word i'm mexican yeah, yeah so. i think red herring i'm mexican so <laughs> i think sometimes <laughs> i don't know some things, but like because because they are experiencing like uh, the patriarchy like really intensely in those circles yeah. they kind of like obsess over they human see it traffic. everywhere yes. yeah yeah like that yeah. It's,
2: it's like really weird it's just so funny you say that because like that describes my my aunt per- like perfectly she was obsessed with like kidnapping trafficking conspiracy theories but she had worked as a consensual adult sex worker like as a young mom in the 1960s and 70s and that's how she like raised her boy like it's it, she did consensual sex work and also bought into, like, I don't know, an early iteration of what would become QAnon.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to leave out the, you know, the liberals either. Like, so I, I'm i in what I call the burlesque to escort pipeline. So right now, I mostly do like full service escorting. Um, And I do like other stuff. I strip sometimes, whatever, whatever. But I'm very open, at least like in spaces that's safe. I'm very open about my job to people. And I meet new people. I'm like, oh, like I'm a sex worker, like whatever. And I do have like older, usually white liberal women be like, <gasps> yes like but what are you going to do how can you get out of this i'm like honey um i usually a thousand dollars an hour like i don't understand like what is your concern are you being exploited right exactly no but that's my thing they're like are you okay yeah yeah i'm like yeah
0: i mean i always go on this rant that like if if sex work is exploitative that's because all work is exploitative so like why are we singling out one
2: type of work Right, right right like yeah. yeah. Is it really consent if you can't live without money? Like, yeah, that you're so close to seeing the real problem. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I do not consent to sit in front of an Excel spreadsheet for eight hours. <laughs> yeah. I have people that have done things to get out of law school debt that keeps them up at night and sends them to therapy. Like, everyone is making choices on a spectrum of yeah. choice, circumstance, and coercion. Like,
1: Yeah. And Jade and I have both been in like different parts of like corporate work, whatever. I'm like my last tech job that I was fired from, I have never felt more Mm -hmm. like degraded and humiliated and exploited. And when I got into this, it was like, and yeah, it's not all perfect, whatever no job is, but it's like what I have gotten out of it the past, I don't know, two, three years since I kind of got more into like sex work, sex work. Like it's just been incredible. Like, and it's not for everybody, but there's just so many misconceptions about it.
2: I mean, there's so many jobs that I could never imagine myself doing, right? Like, I could never work at a slaughterhouse, right? I would make a terrible farmer. I have demonstrated many times that I am a dogshit waitress, right? There are things that are not for me, but the solution is not to criminalize those things for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of exploitative work, I
0: want to know more about your comedy career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do want to get to that, and
2: I also I want to give more space to the very smart point that Candy made, which is that like liberal white women are just as guilty as yeah. with this false conflation, and it's a it remains like a huge disappointment to me that like Gloria Steinem, who for so long was like one of my heroes, has really just doubled down on this idea that we should be arresting people for engaging in prostitution. And then that will help somehow. I'm like, you're too smart for this nonsense. She went undercover at the Playboy club. I know I dressed mm. up as Gloria Steinem undercover for Halloween in college. That's how much I loved her. That's I funny. Just, I put, yeah. yeah. I put a Playboy <laughs> buddy outfit on and was like, who are you? And I was like, I'm Gloria Oh Steinem. my God. Like, Barry What's
1: Woods, love. I, yeah. Was, yeah.
0: <laughs> I always talk about this and like, it's not exactly the same, but, um, I used to dance at at a strip club in <laughs> and now i dance at a strip club and <laughs> so like it was like way more liberal you know not so much yeah and in <laughs> we would get these women who would come into the strip club and give us this, like these little care packages with like tampons and like rubber like just like these little care packages and they were like oh you know we're helping you and i'm like we make really good money. Like I think you should be <laughs> right. putting these this effort were into these like, meant for a un- poor person. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like I just un- made six hundred dollars so in many- the past thirty minutes. Right, right. like there's, especially in- <laughs> there's like so many unhoused women yeah. who could really benefit from like these like nice little care packages, but they're giving it to us because like because we're you know
2: like being put up like making money out of being a sex object, and we need help. There's just something so, like, condescending and deeply unhelpful about that. And, like, I am so grateful to this work and this movement for helping me see, like, the white supremacist bullshit behind most charity culture. Because, like, I was 100% raised in that, right? Like, upper middle class. It's a good thing for us to, like, march down, make a big show about being at the soup kitchen for an hour or, like, whatever. Like that, that thing. And it's so gross to like be on the receiving end of it of like, you're just wrong about who i am and what i need but then in- we have these church ladies who also come and give us care Don't packages but i'm also very too. confused
0: about that i'm like
1: girl we all have yeah, gel and acrylics do not give me a regular nail polish i'm going to throw yeah it what away. am i
0: going to do with this bullshit
2: <laughs> maybe i can save a pair of tights
0: you're just giving me your trash but yeah i mean i'm a huge stand-up comedy fan I'm, oh yeah i'm assuming you talked about sex work in your act
2: I did. I did. I talked about sex work at this very weird period of time in comedy, right? The sort of, like, free speech extremists, like, mm. under Obama, right? Like, when it, like, hit different. Mm-hmm. And it was a mix of, like, sex workers and, like, socially liberal, fiscally, cons- you know, like, dude bro comics, right? That were, like, very committed to the gender norms. It was a weird period of time, but I came up in that, in that culture and... Several things happened sort of all at the same time, but Donald Trump won in 2016, and that made everything feel different. And then somebody that I had been um, sort of like in uh, the tutelage of, or who who was sort of like mentoring me, threatened to sue me for defamation for talking about some definitely not 100% consensual sex that it turns out I can totally prove happened. And the reaction that I got in this radical free speech area was, yeah, you're not allowed to talk about that. And nobody saw the disconnect between those two things. And so that was a really radicalizing moment for me where I felt like too mad to be funny. And Mm -hmm. politics is a perfect place for that energy. (laughs) So I had had sort of been circling or had been like, you know, acquainted with the sex worker rights movement as a comic, I'd done a couple of conferences, you know, I was out um, as a sex worker, I'd written a one woman show about it, and I think some vice articles. And so I, you know, I started coming around more. um, And I ended up accepting the position as the founding director of communications for decriminalized sex work, which is a national advocacy group, spent a long time talking to legislators going to conferences, you know, doing a very different kind of performance. And it became, Really increasingly clear to me that, like, I could not, that we weren't going to get anywhere good policy wise without really investing in cultural narrative change. That legislators mm-hmm. were terrified of their own constituents. And even if you could get them to see it in private, the risks were too high. And so, and also that my skill set is best served, I think, speaking to a broader audience than one cowardly legislator at a time.
1: No, that's just such a good point. It's like when I try to explain, you know, we're beginner podcasts, we've only been around for like a year. But when I try to explain to people like the impact I want to do, it's like I want to like demystify different kinds of work in this mm-hmm. job. It's like I really feel like and we Jade and I are very privileged. We both have degrees. Jade has a freaking master's and like if I can say this, Jade Jade dropped out of her PhD to like become a stripper. And I like often use that. <laughs> You know, because yeah. I mean? like oh, you
2: didn't want to be exploited by <laughs> a violent institution. <laughs> by academia, Yeah, exactly. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Exactly. Because people are just like, what? Yeah,
2: like...
0: Graduate students, they're exploited. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. 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 So that's amazing to, <laughs> to hear you say that. And that was like literally your thought process into like getting more mm-hmm. into this where you're like, no, like I'm going to educate people. We need to like have this like cultural shift to, to see this work. Differently. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's been an interesting sort of like learning curve and adjustment, right? Because like I'm no longer identifying as just a comedian. I'm also like no longer identifying as sort of just an advocate. I'm in this sort of like edutainment space. I feel like we need that and I want to do it. And so that's what's happening. And you seem very good at it. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And I i mean, I locked into like, I would love to tell you that like, strategically, history is the best way to reach people and, you know, a- across the political spectrum and the distance of 100 years and blah, 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 blah. But like, I've been obsessed with this stuff since almost as soon as I could read. So this is just uh, what drives me is this obsession with history and trying to make people see why it matters today, which if you talk to historians, um, they will tell you that that is a very frustrating way to spend one's life. <laughs>
0: I, I'm going to skip around on our questions because like sure. it's kind of I, I have been really interested in like collective action among sex workers. And you just you had the January 25th.
2: Uh, yeah. Episode, like, can you can you talk a, a little bit about that? I love this yeah. story. Yes. So we try to celebrate January 25th at Old Pros because it marks um, not. The oldest or the first because there's no such thing in the oldest profession, but a a long ago um, sex worker led protest against the imminent criminalization of their work. And the way that it happened was, um, this is in 1917. So in the lead up to America's involvement in World War One, when the military was really pushing for local law enforcement to get more serious about repressing prostitution as, you know, disease control, as a national security risk. At the same time, they were, the whole country was still in the midst of what was still called the white slave panic, right? So the white slave law had been passed in 19. 19- 10 there were all of these movies right like you know effectively the uh, you know sound of freedom of its day right um lionizing uh violence against mostly uh black and brown traffickers uh and so because of that there was this reverend reverend paul smith who had sort of taken it upon himself to rally the local populace against sex workers and so he was really leading this crusade and Seeing that he was about to win, two madams um, in the, you know, uh, Tenderloin District in San Francisco organized the community and they marched on his sermon at like, you know, 10 a.m. on January 25th, 1917 and demanded an audience with him. And they invited the press uh, and they made a lot of good points. They said, Hello, sir. I hear that you would like to help white slaves, uh, vulnerable women. Um, And we are here to tell you that evicting us and uh, criminalizing our livelihood is not going to help us keep or feed our children. We need higher wages for women, right? We need housing, we need healthcare, we need childcare, we need all of the same basic things that we're asking for today. Um, According to contemporary newspaper reports at the time, he was deeply embarrassed, befuddled, made speechless. Um, There was this great moment where he was like, you know, I can offer you a job. Uh, and they were like, great. How much does it pay? And he was like... <laughs> an absolute pittance, and they all laughed at him. <laughs> um, so yeah, and so that that confrontation, which happens to be very well documented because of the you know um, efforts of the sex worker act- activists that came before us, um, happened on January 25th, and they shuttered the brothels on February 14th of that year, less than a month later. And so most of those women's stories have been lost to history, but that guy went on to produce the first religiously funded moving picture in the country, lionizing his efforts as a savior of white slaves Mm. by shutting down their brothels um, and went on to like have a whole career of like giving speeches and uh, getting people all riled up about not the real problem uh, and really hurting exactly the people that he said he was sent by God or whatever Mm. to help. Gotta love men. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I gotta love that. And so, like, so it's like that story. I feel like if more people knew that story, then like the Sound of Freedom would not be doing as well as it is at the box office right now. That we would not be considering things like the Earn It Act, right, or Sesta Fosta, or all of these laws that have made it harder for adult consensual sex workers to work safely. So
0: we, we, I. I've been interested. So there's um, a strip club in L.A., the Star Garden that just became Mm. unionized. And I'm really interested in all that. The the unionization can only happen in California because their employees everywhere else were independent contractors. Yeah. And so I think a lot about labor laws and obviously like full service sex work is not legal. So there's no way you can have any labor like rights around that. So I'm, I'm curious because like we always hear that decriminalisa- decriminalization is like the best model or like the model that most sex workers want. But I'm curious like if if you have any thoughts around like legalization can maybe be a path towards like rights like that or if it's just like not worth kind of like trading that freedom of decriminalization for those.
2: Yeah. So I have, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this and this is Mm -hmm. an area of sex work where I feel like smart people disagree. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, speaking as somebody who worked as like an independent escort, I really bristle at the idea of regulatory structure and the worker protections that come with that. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense in some context i think strip clubs are a really great example like any brick and mortar place right where like the you know workers can get together and demand better conditions i don't want to get in the way of that i'm not against organized labor but we already know what legalization and regulation would look like in this country because we've had it in Nevada since the 70s, yeah. right? So the, you know, Nevada is the only state in the country with legal regulated prostitution and it has the highest arrest rate per capita for prostitution in the country. And if you look at the regulations, they have nothing to do with increasing the negotiating power of sex workers and everything to do about enforcing these very whorephobic ideas about containment and control and like mandatory STI testing and registry and all of this stuff that just really limits the freedom of movement um, of sex workers and turns the licensed ones into second class citizens and creates all of these perverse incentives to crack down harder on the still overwhelmingly criminalized market. So I don't think that like, Legalization, which I think comes with licensing and registration and all sorts of other things that end up putting us on stigmatized lists, is a good path for us. If we didn't live in a horphobic society, sure, let's talk about workplace protections. But we do. And so I think we need to collectively resist creating the apparatus that makes that kind of coercive control possible. And so that's why I think it's important for us to think about sex worker rights, not just through the lens of labor rights, but also Mm -hmm. through the lens of like queer rights, sexual freedom, LGBTQ plus movement, right? Like when we stopped arresting people for having same sex consensual sex, We didn't make people register or fill out a form or like, you know, right. We just stopped arresting people for consensual sex. And so that that feels like the first step. And if we do that, I think that there are parts of sex work that are ripe for unionization, collective organizing. And all of that is made easier when you're when you're not criminalized. But like and also. Even criminalized sex workers find ways to cooperate locally. Right. they are sort of like, you know, people talk about don't charge less than don't go here. Mm -hmm. Tell him X like there is sort of an irrepressible element um, to our we find ways of supporting each other as a community.
0: I love that comparison to um same-sex consensual sex cuz it's like that's yeah I had never even thought about it like that way like oh once we stopped you know criminalizing same-sex we didn't we didn't make people go on a list and have to yeah. like
2: prove that they're you know yes And could you imagine how state, dangerous SDI that would was. be had we done that with like watching the pendulum spin- swing now right mm-hmm. like yeah and I and I think yeah. that's my sort of collective critique of like progressive stuff is like Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what your intentions are think about
0: what you're building no it's super valid we had on um a guest on this yeah i was gonna talk about vivian Vivian, yeah and and because we didn't know too much about the brothels and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. you always hear you know nevada legal and we think yay (laughs) and she was telling us like the way they crack down on women who are doing sex work outside of the brothels is so much harsher yes um and and even at, at the strip club you you know that, right? Cause like yep. if you if you do anything that like hints at sex work at the strip club because it's not at a brothel, they right. take away your license, this and that. But then once we knew like how they really contain them at the brothels, it is
1: wild. Like for our listeners, I don't know what episode that is, but please go back and listen because she really gives like an in-depth look at how the actual business works because she worked in it for several years i always tell that to people too it's like oh but in nevada i'm like you need to listen to actual brothel workers because it's fucking insane it's fucked
0: up and it's like okay you have to live at this place you can't have children
2: you can't leave no i know people who have lost their kids in child custody cases because they were a legal registered prostitute in nevada right i know Mm -hmm. people like it's a no this is not a system that increases the negotiating power of workers
0: i'm trying to think of like any other kind of like c- scenario in which that would be okay where you would tell people like oh actually these women are not allowed to leave i mean but they actually prison? have to pay for
2: no, i guess for their housing yeah. <laughs> oh, guess prison. Maybe? yeah like i don't know <laughs> if someone's stuck in a
0: ship i don't know <laughs> right
2: where you just have to sit but yeah no i around. mean yeah. i know
0: i know candy you're joking but like yeah prison might be like the closest comparison i
2: don't know Yeah, I mean, it certainly is not like a liberatory model, right? It's a model that only benefits the brothel owners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We we did an episode on the history of like how those laws came to be mm. um, and, it, and knowing that history, it just makes it so clear that it's like a compromise between the FBI and the mafia, two deeply patriarchal institutions that have more in common than they'd like to admit, finding ways of like controlling and profiting off of the labor of this disenfranchised class, you know.
0: Two days ago, I did a VAP with a guy who works at a labor union. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because this old man's by the stage and I go and talk, talk to him. And as we're talking, he's like, hold on one second. And he tips the stage and he comes back and sits down with me. And he says, I just don't think anyone should be working for free. And what? I was like, oh, <laughs> I, yeah, man. I agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> Like, like, yeah, hell yeah. And then like, like we're talking and like slowly he's saying things like, you know, like I really hope they treat you guys you're like well here and I'm like yeah you know it's a little exploited and we start talking turns out he works um at a labor union so he's like yep. pro workers right or whatever yep. and he knows the lawyers who helped unionize the star Garden in LA and all that stuff but uh candy and I were talking about um these strippers when they unionized they joined like an actor's yep um union yep and they were kind of really emphasizing the performance art aspect yeah. of the job and kind of we thought, you know, to the detriment of like the sex worker part of it, right? Like it was more like we go I, on stage and we dance and yeah. I don't
2: know actually. Like I mm. I I I I thought even of my like escort work as a performance. But I had come to that work as an actress, so like I was already mm. primed to think of it that way, but I don't know. It's I I'm cur- I'm curious that- to see how all of this shakes out.
0: Yeah. And I was, I said that to him and he was like, well, cause I said, well, is a lap dance a performance art? And he was like, yes. Oh, <laughs> when does so. it become, I guess and, my question yeah. is always
1: like, when does it become sex work then? Because it's like, if I am rubbing, cause it's like, I've done all different kinds now. It's like, if I am rubbing on a dick through jeans <laughs> and that is, I consider that sex work. If I'm escorting or stripping, I don't know. It's like, I'm rubbing on a hard dick. It might come sometimes it has like, well, the club, but like, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's all art, right? Like, even if you're, you know, even if you're doing it, you know, haphazardly or lazily, or like, you know, just because you're not performing a craft to its highest level or whatever doesn't make it not art. And I think like the presence of erotic energy like what is every painting of a nude woman like not real art it's sex art like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know how how far (laughs) do we take this and so Mm -hmm. you know I don't know I think uh, I think erotic performance is just as much performance as non-erotic so maybe we should
1: think of sex work as an art is that kind of what you're saying yeah I mean I think it may I mean maybe
2: right maybe maybe it's an art maybe it's a performance I think that you know that union Connection makes a lot of sense to me. I also think that sex work and like waiting tables have a lot in common. Yes. You know, like service That's industry kind of what is we're another saying.
0: We were saying, yeah, it might be more like that. So when I ended up talking to this man, he was like basically saying that just pragmatically, that union that they join is a lot smaller, so they can focus a lot more of their resources on them and make sense. And the reason i even brought this up is because he talked about the armenian mafia is like really in charge of like all those strip clubs but but um but i agree like because kenny and i were talking and it's like feels like we have a lot more in common with like service workers Mm -hmm. because of all the emotional labor that goes into it like like would would waiting tables where or like being a bottle service girl where you have to be really flirtatious and you know be like sexy mommy basically cuz yep. you're like yep. feeding them but also you're flirting like would that be a performance art yeah. too cuz you're pretending to like these people
2: <laughs> yeah but i mean like there's just a lot of crossover there too right like you know mm. how many actors become waiters how many waiters become actors that feels like a transferable skill set like we all play the cards that were dealt you know and i think that there are a thousand ways of thinking about this and a thousand ways of of coming at it you know like there are as many stories and perspectives as there, as there are people. And so, yeah, that's one of the, one of the reasons why I sort of bristle against the like labor organizing as mechanism. Cause it does require an awful mm. lot of like box creation and fitting, you know,
1: we have never had somebody, and I know you said sugar has changed now from when you did it, but we've actually never, yeah. Jade and I, do not do sugaring. We've never have. We've never had someone who's done sugaring True. on the podcast. So I would love if you wanted to like get into your experience a little bit and kind of what it was like when you were doing that.
2: um, sure. So, um, I actually hilariously uh, heard about sugaring from um a fellow, you know, aspiring performer, friend of mine in New York that was like, hey, there's this really cool thing where like people will pay you to date them. And I, at that point, I'd already done hourly sex work. So I was like, the oldest profession did you what is what are you talking yeah. about did you just discover know this <laughs> yeah what are what is happening um and so you know but like but at that point um you know sugaring was really branding itself like i, I don't remember was it sugarbaby.com or like, I don't even remember They're the name. Seeking Arrangement. Seeking Arrangement, yes. Yeah. Seeking Arrangement, that was it. Yeah,
1: Yes, they had to take off the arrangement. Sure. Uh,
2: <laughs> fine. But they were really playing a very hard game of this is not prostitution. Mm-hmm. And so what I watched happen to my civilian friends who did not self-identify as sex workers is that they were being taken on these lavish dates and like having these experiences and coming home without any money in their pocket, uh, and like I and and sort of being sold this bag of like I spent eight hundred dollars on you, and I was like, right, but like we still owe rent. Like, do you see? Yeah. How this isn't? And She was like, well, I'm not a whore, and I was like, that's what's holding you back. Uh, and so, as somebody who had done hourly sex work before, the way that the way that I was using this resource to operate is, I was trying to be very upfront of like. I'm trying to get my monthly needs met so that I can really focus on on up comedy, which is what I want to be doing. Um, this, you're like, this is my rent. This is, uh, I will not cancel gigs to spend time with you, but I'm happy to work with our schedules and find time to like be together. And I went on, I think it was like it was several first dates, which I did not expect to be paid. This was like sort of like a mutual get to know you, like pick up the check, but we're gonna feel each other out. And I presented this case and like some people were not into it and I was not into some people. And then I had lunch with this guy and we clicked and we made each other laugh and I felt like he really got it and he had done this before and seemed to be very proud of like, you know, what the folks that he had supported effectively like, you know, did with their life. Um, And we went on, this was the only time in my life that I utilized um, my weird aunt's, rules right like the she was trying to tell me like the gospel of the rules as a young person this is a person who with the QAnon conspiracy theories who had done stripping and sex work as a young person right yeah so uh yeah like i made him take me out on like four or five dates and we eventually got to a place where we negotiated you know a monthly stipend and we saw each other when we could and sort of operated like a long distance casual couple
1: Amazing. And can I ask, did you, yeah. and you don't have to answer this, but
2: did you uh, have sure. sex with him as a part of the arrangement? I did when we, when we saw each other, uh, which was not often, but yes, sex was, sex was a part of it. And
0: yeah, sex and like yeah. flirting. I think, I think for us, like I, at the strip club, um, there's a lot of negotiations that happen obviously, you know, cause you want to get paid for your services. Right. But a lot of the times they have to happen like under the surface, like you can't just outright be like, "Hey, if you tip me a hundred dollars, I'll sit here with you for thirty minutes." Like, right? A lot of men like bristle at that. They and want you a want lot of times to I've sit been, there and yeah. talk to them. Right. I've been told so many times. Well, I would have tipped you if you hadn't asked. Right. Ah, I, I hate that because, oh like,
1: sometimes they're like,
0: "Well, I'm not gonna do this," and I'm like. Well, I need to leave, but if you want me to stay, you can tip me and I'll, sure. I'll stick around. Like, yeah. Well, I would have, but then you ask. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all yeah. an
2: illusion. They they, they were never going to give you that exactly. money. Um, yeah. That's 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck those guys. But, but I hate it. And I see how that permeates. Like, you know, uh, people that are unwilling or unable to identify as sex workers robs them of a lot of their negotiating power. And I think that that is by design, right? Because like the second you bring up money, like, hey, I'm an adult person living in the world. I'm at work right now. I know this is confusing because like there's so much glitter, but like this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, only one of us is partying. um, And yeah, it's um, it's interesting. And so I, I don't think that I would have been as successful doing sugaring had I not had that experience as an hourly sex worker
0: we always think about sugaring and because we've never done it, we don't exactly know, but like I always think of it as like, that would be maybe like the hardest place to negotiate prices like that. Because at least today there, there is more of like a we're dating kind of thing and breaking the fourth wall of being like, well, I got, I want to get paid exactly this for this act would kind of like, ruin that whereas like well i'm helping you with rent and this and that like yeah yeah negotiating those like double speak would like kind of drive me insane
2: no it's it's fat you have to use a completely different arsenal of tactics like like, hourly escort work Mm -hmm. is much much more straightforward but like sugaring effectively like invites the financial manipulation of like the time before women were allowed to have their own credit cards right like it's about articulating need. It's about um, evoking mm-hmm. a sense of purpose. It's about like you have to do all of this stuff, you know. Um, yeah, my advice to people sugaring is if it feels like sort of slow, the next time he wants to see you, tell him you can't go because you got a job. Yeah, and you're not available. That's the answer, right? It's like, oh, how can we make how can we make this problem go away? Well, the thing that a job gives me. Um, <laughs> yeah ring, ring. yeah it's right, really right, right, it's right.
1: really disappointing right. to see the whore phobia within the sugaring community yeah. it kind of oh, so yeah. i fo- i don't like follow this person but i get a lot of her content on tiktok her name is she goes with shira seven and she essentially promotes this lifestyle without saying it she's like here's how to find a man whatever i find it's actually very good mm-hmm. client advice for like the strip club sex workers mm-hmm. and then I saw a TikTok last week and and someone had asked her like, oh, like, should I start an OnlyFans? Whatever. She's like, oh no, that's trashy. And I was like, girl, I was-
2: Yeah, these are branding choices, not value judgments, right? Yeah. Like you're not better than anyone. Right, right,
1: exactly, exactly. And yeah. it's like, you can be like, hey, like that's not my thing, whatever. But it's like people who do sure. that are also valid. It's just so weird. And, yeah. and Jade and I talk about this a but lot. It,
0: it, it goes all ways though. Because like even women at the strip oh. club will be like, well, I'm a stripper. She has sex for money. Yeah, like, yeah. Goes, oh, I could never do
2: that. Even, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's wild. Porn performers. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would never have sex with a non-professional. Escorts. I would never have sex on camera. I mean, like, it just it's in all of the directions in all of the ways. Right. I would never perform for strangers. I would never meet somebody alone in a room, you know, like where everyone mm-hmm. gets this is a choose your own adventure bound choose your own boundaries adventure. Right. Right. Or the one that we're seeing right
0: now is I wouldn't do XYZ for less than this Right, right. right, right, right. Like, the
1: money shaming,
0: is which just is so
1: classist yeah, and like fucked up. Shaming. And it just like, obviously it ignores like so much a part of like our society, like who values what because of, of what identities. I-, I mean, it's just we have. So we talked about Vivian, the brothel worker. She said something that I always say to people. She said, sling and pussy is sling and pussy. There's no metal. In the what is it? There's no gold medal. In the horror Olympics. That's what she said. Yeah, <laughs> I was yep. like, oh, that's such a good quote. I'm gonna say it all the time.
2: <laughs> Meeting another horphobic sex worker is something that's super annoying to deal with, like on a one-on, like in an on an interpersonal level. But I do think it's important to keep in mind that like this is something that the culture we have built aggressively encourages, like. Sex workers connecting their whole identity to like earning potential or class or like distance from other sex workers. And I think what I want to stress to sex workers that might be listening is it only feels like you're getting something out of it. But actually, whenever you engage in this you're fucking yourself. And it's that same example of, like, just reducing your negotiating power, right? Like, any time that you spend shitting on other sex workers or, like, engaging in that, it might feel like you're raising your value to, like, whoever you're interacting with, but you're actually, like, literally eroding, right, the foundation of your own ability to self-advocate.
1: That is very, very good advice.
0: Right. Like the people in power are not going to be making these distinctions that we seem to be making. Like we're no. all, we're all whores. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have any questions about that, like just check out what's happening to the log cabin Republicans. They are having a time. I was going to ask about if you have any like
1: specific projects that you're like the most passionate about right now. Like we know you've talked about your yes. general work and stuff, but like share yes, share yes, some yes. about that.
2: Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm so excited. So, um, I have been working on this show, Horse Eye View, since 2019, and it is a combination of really all of the work that I've done. I'm so proud of the show, and so I'm. I'm trying to take it to festivals. I'm, you know, taking it on tour. Please sign up for our email list so you could like stay in the know, like an old pro. Like, yes, you'll get Sex Worker News, but you'll also get tour dates and find out like when i am bringing this uh huge project to to your city but i'm i'm super proud of it it's ten thousand years of history in 75 minutes it's stand-up comedy it's a lecture like with a slide deck and an annotated bibliography and it's like very personal storytelling where i i really aim uh for this uh yeah dichotomy of like the way that we think and talk about soldiers and my father's story and the way that we think and talk about sex workers and my story. Ah, that is incredible. Love it. Where
0: Where do people sign up for the newsletter?
2: Oh, Yo, yeah. Uh, you, you can find everything at oldprosonline.org. Uh, sign up for our newsletter, you know, consider uh, supporting the work with a tax deductible donation. Um, and please, 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 if I'm in your city, uh, come out and see the show. Um, I'm so proud of it. And I want to share it with the whole world.
1: Are you currently performing the show or any stand-up in New York, like on a regular, semi-regular basis?
2: We don't have any dates on the calendar yet. The next event we have is the Cannonball Fringe Festival in Philadelphia, September 24th, 25th, and 26th. Definitely taking it back on the West Coast, and then I'm sure we'll have another run um, here in New York soon.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. This past hour is just, you answered all of our questions it's been great. in such an amazing, funny, educational way. And we just really appreciate you coming on and, and, and lending us an hour of your time. Thank you so much for having me.
2: It's really so been much. a delight and an honor to be here. Right.
1: And then you can find uh, your you. old pros on Instagram right or yeah
2: old pros online um on instagram old uh if you search old pros we come up very fast yes so. y'all yeah and listen to I the podcast say, it's like yeah super the podcast is oh, and you. you feel like
0: you're learning <laughs> so you are learning but i just feel like i'm it, it's like npr but like yeah <laughs> oh nice
2: i love that yeah <laughs> we're um we're just gonna, we're about to start releasing episodes for our fifth season um in september so excited we look forward to that I'm very proud of it. That
1: is so amazing. Very yeah. inspirational for us, baby podcasters. Thank who are you. are just getting started.
0: <laughs> All right, everyone, rate, review, and subscribe. And Bye. we'll see, see you next time. Week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>